Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. From the Webby Awards, I'm David Michelle Davies. This is the Webby Podcast. Journalists, remember, bearing witness is our responsibility. If you see, you care. Fail, fail, fail. Win. Repeat. Repeat. Local data, local stories, our communities matter. Hey, and welcome back to the Webby Podcast. Today we're coming to you with a special bonus episode. The Levy Awards, as some of you may know, is the European sister to the Webbies, honoring the best of the European internet. That includes everyone from Spotify to BBC to special achievement winners you may have heard of on this podcast, like Megan Lucero from the Bureau Local and Dr. Sue Black. With the Levy Awards' final entry deadline coming up on Friday, July 19th, we thought it would be fun to dig into some of our favorite winners from both the Webbies and the Loveys. I am joined in the studio today by two of my colleagues who know the Loveys and the European internet better than anyone, Webby Awards Executive Director Claire Graves and Levy Awards Managing Director Emily Warren. Emily kicked off our conversation talking about how journalists are using playlists in countries like China and Uzbekistan to combat censorship. I really loved the uncensored playlist. It was made by Media Monks in the Netherlands for Reporters Without Borders in Germany. And they did this really cool thing. It's like a really like a Trojan horse move on the internet, and I love something like that. They were like well aware that press censorship is on the rise around the world, especially in five target countries where like freedom of the press basically doesn't exist, which is China, Egypt, Thailand, Uzbekistan, and Vietnam. Um, but they wanted a way for journalists to still be able to share their stories. So journalists in those places teamed up with music artists because, interestingly, while freedom of the press might not be available there, global music streaming sites are, like Spotify, Amazon Music, and everything is available. So these journalists were able to share like their reports and stories in the form of song, and they published a big playlist, the Uncensored Playlist, so people could listen to that everywhere as a way to sort of say, like, their truth cannot be stopped. So the idea is, like, if you were a journalist in China and you couldn't necessarily publish your scathing report about whatever it might be, that you could write a song about it? It's like you could tell the story as, like, in a song like file basically and oh. upload that in as like into this playlist. Got so it. they curated these stories mostly because a lot of independent blogs and sites are just fully blocked in those places. So like the stories like can't get to anybody, oh. but this way they could. And I thought that was really clever and awesome. But now that it won a Webby and a Lovey Award, I guess it doesn't work anymore because now everybody knows that uh, you can, you can still access the playlist. Right. I was but it's not recently like on Yeah, well they launched it I think um on a specific day that's like a, a world I forget the name but it was like in conjunction to celebrate this one sort of like movement against mm. censorship. So it was like timed with that, but 
there's still the the playlist is still up. Like no one's taken it down because I think legally it can't be taken down. Interesting on those streaming sites, so, so you can it's get on. Put to music. I don't think they're all necessarily put to music. Some of it might just be spoken. Ah, that's interesting. It's yeah. like the new reporting from the front line. Right. Yeah. This is like a really clever loophole. Interesting. And I love a project that takes advantage of the internet that way. And made by uh, a very successful organization that's won lots of lovies and yes. webbies, uh, Media Bugs, which are in uh, based out of the Netherlands but are now a global company and makes all sorts of different types of internet projects. Yes. Yeah, they do great work. Claire, what were uh, what what projects were you excited about that crossed over this year between Webby's and Lovey's? I want to tell you guys about one of my favorite things from the UK, favorite companies from the UK, from the United Kingdom, Boiler Room, and they have a new site. It's been around for a little while, but it is kind of incredible. So you guys know Boiler Room? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, they you know music. Tell people about Boiler Room. Boiler Room was started in 2010 with a webcam in a warehouse, live streaming dance parties, and it's grown from there. It's always got music at its core, though. So the site that won a Webby Award, it's an, a nominee for music websites, uh, and then it got a gold for the Lovey Awards, music and entertainment websites. And the site is called 4-3. And it is a video platform for videos related to music. So there's music videos from all around the world and they're independent. So it's independent filmmakers that are creating these uh, movies, short films, music videos, and they're all really freaking awesome. Uh, and it's just, uh, you know, a kind of more interesting place to go than Netflix on a Monday night. Or Instagram. Or Instagram. Not that there's anything wrong with Instagram, but... We don't need to spend all of our time there. Sometimes it's nice to see new things. Yeah. I mean, I feel like I, – I think it's a great site. I was um, looking at it a few weeks ago. Uh, so I think somebody in here in the office was like singing its praises. It's sort of like one of those types of things that used to – there used to be a lot of experiences like that. And I feel like have sort of been like whittled away or don't exist anymore because they just don't do that well in like a social feed, right? They just don't mm -hmm. show up that well in Twitter or Instagram or whatever. And so people have like forgotten about them, but they're – they're out there and they're awesome. They're awesome. And I think that, you know, Europe is particularly good at those types of sites. For three from Boiler Room, Nowness is obviously one of the best platforms for video yeah. like that. So, yeah. It makes me wonder, like, how is that stuff going to come back? You know, it's got to come back. I mean, not that, those sites exist and are doing really well, but there's lots of other work like that that just can't, it just can't find an audience these days, like I said, because it's just not, it's just not so catered to a social feed. Yeah, I mean, the good news is, is that I think that filmmakers all over the world will still create film. Yeah. So I guess it's sites like this. Right. Or podcasts like this. Or podcasts like this. That's true. We're helping out. Well, I have I have one I think is in the vein of that Boiler Room site. It's also sort of, it's sort of similar in that way, and it's um, LSO Play. And LSO is the London Symphony Orchestra. And they developed a site where you can go and listen to their like most classic, you wouldn't say orchestrations, but like their most classic like live events essentially. Um, so you could go see, you could go listen to like a Stravinsky piece that they played at mostly at Barbican, which is in London. Um, Barbican. Did I say it wrong? Barbican? Barbican. Barbican. There's like the Rite of Spring, which is a Stravinsky piece. Dubusset has a piece on it. There's a Dubusset piece. 
Bolero, which is a, an all-time classic. Um, so you can go listen to it on the site, but also uh, sort of immerse yourself in the experience of watching the orchestra, and you can sort of toggle between the strings and the conductor and oh, the amazing. brass. So just to describe it, on a monitor, there's four different views of the orchestra, and you can sort of select which one of each of those views you want to see, so you can see four parts of the orchestra all at once while you're listening to it, which is pretty fun. The only thing that I wish could be better is that there's not a lot of, since it's like, there's not a lot of messing around with the sound, so it's just like on, but you like can't really make it louder. I mean, you can make your computer louder, but you can't really like, it'd be cool if you could kind of listen to more of the winds versus. Oh, I thought oh, that's you what can't you control meant. that. No. Oh, yeah, I did yeah. too. Uh, no, mean, but you can control watching that. Oh, but you yeah. can't control the moving the sound up and down. I mean, that would be pretty expensive, though, no? That's true. But if you yeah. have a great sound system set up in general, that's an arguably more interactive way to experience a symphony than if you bought a ticket and went there where maybe you could only see, really, yeah. the one section. This is like oh, a way yeah. to understand yeah. no, how musicians work together, Like, right? You can get up pretty close. Oh, yeah, it's super cool. Yeah, it's really, really cool. Really cool. And um, they also... You know, if you're like one of those people who has a more, you're doing this stuff not through the web, but through apps or through Apple TV and stuff, they have um, LSO Live, which isn't exactly the same thing, but is similar. Um, and that's apps for like iPad and iPhone and stuff and sort of gives you another way of experiencing the London Symphony Orchestra. So it's clever. Pretty cool. And yeah. It's free, right? It is free. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. You turned me on to it, I think. I did. And I'm going to show it to my son because he plays the clarinet. He's like really in the clarinet these days. And you can see the woodwinds. And uh, amazing. Very inspiring yeah. for him, yeah. All right. What do you got, Emily? This is sort of like a darling, I suppose, of the Webbies and the Lovies, but Night Sky. Oh, yeah. Uh, Love that app. Um, I, for one, as like a lay person, don't really know a ton about the solar system and the, the constellations, but I always want to know more. And with Night Sky, you can, in fact, do that just with your phone. So it has like a really cool use of AR. So you just hold it up to the sky literally and can see all the constellations, learn about them and like a million other features. If you buy the premium version, you can really like become sort of an armchair astrologist just using this app. It's so amazing to me, especially like, I mean, not that long ago, we didn't even have smartphones really. And now you can just take this tiny computer and like use its camera to like learn about our entire like solar system. Unreal, right? Especially for kids too. My my daughter's been really interested in learning about the planets and stuff at school, and like it's a mind blowing thing to be able to then say like, here, look at, here's the Big Dipper. You were just talking about this, but now you can see it goes from here to here to here, and this is the name of every single star, and it's really cool. Amazing. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think for parents with children, I mean, all, for all people, but especially for children, especially if you have an iPad, it's yes. amazing on an iPad with the screens a little bit bigger, um, and it really just like does that amazing overlay. It's really also the interesting thing about it, I think, is it's all one of the first, it was one of like the first AR. apps on the iPad, not AR, but just like, it was like one of those really early, early iPad apps that everybody was excited by, but it was just, I don't want to say basic, like it was bad or anything. It was like, it was good, but it was just, you know, at the beginning stages and it's really, to use it today, it's really much more sophisticated and involved. It uses like AR kit now in like a really sophisticated mm -hmm. way. So I think there's a lot of stuff that people who make stuff for the internet can get out of going back to it just to see what they've done because yeah. it's really done some amazing things. One of the things I love about it as well is that it's made by an independent creator that lives in Birmingham and he's so lovely. Yes. Came to the show with his parents. Yes. He gave a great lovey seven-word speech as well. Do uh, we remember it? Yes. Oh, great. Come together, Earthlings. It's now Mars time. That's really good. Wow, that is seven words too. 
It's so much harder to count seven words than five words. That's a good one. I like that one. The European, you know. That was a great speech. Like a little different. Yeah. It was a great speech. Awesome. Claire, what do you got? Well, you spoke about the London Symphony Orchestra, and I have a project that was done in collaboration with the LSO. It's called Back to the Moon. It is a Google Doodle, which you guys know, obviously, Google Doodles is one of the best things on the internet. So tell people what Google Doodles are. Everybody knows what they are. They might not know what the word for them is, though, right? Everybody knows a Google Doodle. It is the animation or picture or interactive experience like this one that is on the homepage of Google, the search page. And some people might not know. A lot of people do know, but some people might not necessarily know the origin of the Google Doodle. You know, Dave and Michelle? I don't think I do. I mean, I remember those first doodles, but I don't I don't know like the, the the origin story or anything. The first time they used it was when Larry and Sergey went to Burning Man. Oh. And so they put up on the homepage, we're in Burning Man. Oh, interesting. <laughs> mm-hmm. I wonder if I was at that Burning <laughs> You must have been. <laughs> so this one was the very first VR Google Doodle. Um, not so easy to say. And it won a lovely for animation and it won in the Webby Awards 360 in virtual reality categories for best narrative experience. And it's a film, obviously, it's a 360 film that is celebrating the life of Georges Millet. Did I say that right? Sounds right. Sounds right. And yeah, it's really cute. It's kind of a delightful film. I didn't want to say the word delightful, but there it is. It's delightful. And it's, you know, kind of really fun. And the music is beautiful, obviously, because they worked with the London Symphony Orchestra. I think you should all check it out. How does it, how does it, can you explain a little bit the mechanics of how like a, a VR film works in a Google Doodle? Like, well, so, you know, because sometimes a, a lot of the time now they put the YouTube player within it. Uh, so then you can, with the 360, you can drag it around. Uh, and then they also are now delivering it on Steam it's a good one because everybody knows George Millet is one of his most famous films is the film where he takes a trip to the moon 60 years before they actually went to the moon and it's got the iconic picture of the moon with a rocket in its eye. So is it a, just, a, just a little technical thing? Is it, a, is it VR or is it it's 360? It's 360, but then they put it up on the VR platforms. But so the interactive part of it is is more like a 360 thing magic window where you can just like – move around in it as opposed to yeah, it's, goggles or whatever we're calling no, it. No, you can. Viewers. Well, I have to admit I only Checked watched it, it on magic. 360, sure. So, but I could move around the room in 360. Right. That's cool. Awesome. That's a good project. It's a great project. Look at the London Symphony Orchestra. Yeah. Look love the Google internet. Doodle. Well, um, I have another one I really like just to switch gears. Uh, podcasts. So... There aren't actually a lot of podcasts that win both Webbies and Levies, which is really not that surprising because uh, podcasts can be very, I feel like they're very culturally specific. Um, But uh, there are some actually. And one that uh, I really like that one in both is something called The Economist Asks. It's a podcast by The Economist uh, where they basically just interview people. And not dissimilar to other podcasts like this one, perhaps. <laughs> um, but what I like about it, there's a bunch of things I like about it. A, The Economist has always been a bit of a like uh, black box magazine to me because you read all these amazing articles, but 
and now it's changing a little bit, but for a really long time, they never tell you who wrote any of the articles. And so you just don't know that much about like what's going on behind the scenes and whose point of view is this. And it's always just like the economist's point of view. So one thing on The Economist asks is that they interview a bunch of the writers from time to time. And so you learn more about the people who work there, which is cool. And then the other thing is, it is similar in a way to like Fresh Air or just like one of those really great interview shows, but their guests are just much more like, have much more of a European take, European background, European culture. So you're just getting a wider view of, at least for us here in the US, a little bit of a wider view of like what's going on culturally in the world. Um, and they get really great guests, which I guess is not that surprising for The Economist. So uh, they had Ian McEwen on. I hope I said that name correctly. Yes, that's correct. Um, the author, they had him on recently. And he has a book out that's called Machines Like Me, uh, which I have not read, but I am excited to read, which sounds like a very weird book um, where the character essentially takes place in like the 1980s in a dystopian world where AI already exists. And you can sort of like take home your own AI person and like make them into your like person. People do lots of different things, which we'll find out about in the book. Uh, and so he talks all about, he talks all about that and how he wanted to write this book that wasn't so much about the technical possibilities of AI, but more around this human decisions and emotional decisions and psychological decisions that go into that, which seemed pretty cool. So I'm excited. I, I'm excited to read that book. Great interview with him. Um, but then also it has like Ricky Gervais on talking about, you know, like what it's like to be Ricky Gervais. You know what? I think it's Gervais. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Thank you. Ricky Gervais. That's your friend. That's how you say it in French, I guess. Gervais. Also, Brett Easton Ellis was on recently. I know there's a bunch of American Psycho fans who listen to this podcast. You should definitely listen to that interview. He's also the author of Less Than Zero. So really good, eclectic guests. Sounds good. I'm going to download it. Me too. Download it today. And it's also, I think, one of those things where like, you know, we all have this podcast where we really like it, but we don't necessarily listen mm -hmm. to every episode. Mm -hmm. Yep. And not, to, no offense, if you're to the people at The Economist Asks I'm sure a lot of people make that their daily of the morning or whatever of the week, but um, it's also one of those things you could just listen to when you like the guest. Which is kind of the beauty of podcasts anyway, right? It Being is. able to sort of pick yeah. and choose when it's yeah. right for you, the right time, the right place. Sounds like a good car journey podcast. Yes. Yeah. It's Long train so ride. I recommend that mm -hmm. to our, our listeners who haven't listened to it yet. Um, and Ann McElvoy, who's the host, has a very, very nice voice. Is it? An, very... I guess it can't be an NPR voice. Maybe it's a BBC voice. It's a little, it's like a cross between the BBC and NPR, I'd say. Very relaxing. Yeah. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step -step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Emily, what do you got? Um, well, actually, back to VR, interestingly. 
this is a, a winning piece that I will admit I did not fully like jump into until quite recently because we put it into our lovey talk, mm. which we're going around Europe sharing at the moment. Um, it's called PETA Eye to Eye. It's uh, made by a couple agencies in Germany, Kohlrebe and DeModern. And this is a really, I mean, it's like the definition of immersive in that you feel that you are inside the body of an animal. Mm. As this was, of course, made for PETA as a way to like get people to sort of up their sensitivity towards the ethical treatment of animals. And it really like ticks that box because you very much like viscerally, physically, emotionally feel like you are an animal who might be trapped, say, like in a science lab or even like in a slaughterhouse. And in their case study video, they talk about how they were able to like first somehow more than ever before, they were able to map like every single sound and movement from the viewer directly onto the animal. So it created like an even more real mm. virtual experience, if you will. So you re- it's like disturbing, actually. And I think sounds scary. the disturbing part of it, though, is what makes it like so powerful and effective. Mm-hmm. So I just have like a lot of respect for this team that clearly like went the extra mile in every way to make this really like hit you hard. So that is a favorite of mine. If you can handle it, it's kind of, it's heavy, but it's like really well done. I can imagine. Yeah. It sounds confronting to me, but I guess that's the whole point of virtual reality. But then having empathy, you don't usually with virtual reality have empathy with people, but this is having empathy with an animal. Yeah. It's really, really good. You know, very vulnerable. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, PETA always has done like a lot of really interesting work throughout the years. I think there's something about the urgency of their mission that, you know, inspires them to really be very bold in the ideas that they have. For sure. Like a lot of really great internet work these days, it sounds like something that half of me absolutely wants to go try in two seconds and half of me is afraid of trying. Right. Yeah. Which is sort of the point too. I think they're like really taking advantage of this medium in particular as a way to like sort of force you to confront. Yeah. And like have a thought about it and a feeling and perhaps maybe change something in your own life or whatever. It's really, it's really a powerful one. It's great. And you don't even have to like have the VR set on to really get what Mm. they did. They have a great case study video. You can find it on YouTube where you really like you're taken into it anyway, just by their own telling of like what they did and Mm -hmm. what happened and like how people reacted. Yeah. Uh, and great agencies. Those yes, two agencies. Really good. What a partnership. Yeah, totally. I mean, I don't know, Emily, you tell me, but it seems to be the years, the couple of last years of Germany. Germany's so been much great it. work coming from Germany. Yes, year after year. It's really amazing. Very creative, innovative stuff, like taking risks, it feels like a lot of the time in yeah. the work. One of the things this brings up sort of is do, do either of you feel like there's some path? forward on how some of these projects that are so incredible in VR are going to become more accessible to people soon. And I think that on the one hand, like you could say like, well, these like VR headsets, the price of them has come down and they're easier to purchase. And there's things like Google Cardboard, which are like really close to free if you have a phone and stuff. But there's something beyond like the accessibility of like the cost and it's just the actual time issue of having to like put this thing on your head and like being trapped and you're closed off from the rest of the world. It's like, it's kind of, it's barrier in its own right. I feel like we, because this work gets entered and it's part of our job to go through it all and look at it. Fortunately, we really see how extraordinary some of it is, but I do get the sense that like most people out there, there might be something that's very important to them, like 
PETA where they really will engage in something like this because they care about it. But there's so many other projects that just really don't get seen in light, except by their most you know passionate fan base. To me, it's always felt like this whole, all of the VR stuff still just feels so early. And like we just as human beings really just aren't there yet as making this something normal for us to like use and experience every day. Like we've adopted smartphones at this insane rate and all of that is like super normal now and ingrained. And VR always has felt to me that like it just is going to take like three times the amount of time to become so familiar and like desired mm. the way the rest mm-hmm. has. Like it's there's something about it, like you say, being sort of closed off. It's very deliberate, right? You have to like sit down to decide to consume some VR experience, you know? Yeah. And like you can't, you're not like going to have a VR headset on, on your commute the way you might have your headphones in to listen to the podcast, right. you know? That it's just going to take so much longer. Yeah, I mean, like not even I the think, cost, but like the behavioral experience of doing it. Yeah, it's the barrier. It's the yeah. barrier to entry. But I mean, I think even you know, even if you are an early adopter, like many of us here at the Webby Awards are early adopters, and we all got the Oculus, the first one first, and now some of us have the Oculus Go. I know that Steve, who the podcast listeners will know as our executive producer, has the Go. He watches it in bed while his wife is sleeping has his little lounge room set up. But I think one of the things that is kind of more more interesting at the moment is how people are plugging virtual experiences, virtual um, reality experience into live events. Mm. And so when people come together yeah. and use the, use the technology, it's kind of an interesting way for people to experience it as well. So like when people all put the headsets on and then appear together somewhere? Yeah, kind of exactly. And, and, and are at events and all put the headsets on together and then experience it right. together. Right. Like the Mars, the National Geographic Mars experience that won at the Webby's this year. Right. Tell people about that in case they don't know since we brought it up. Uh, the National Geographic Live experience and the Mars experience was an event that Nat Geo did to promote their show, Mars, and they had a series of events where they gave people, what are they called, helmets, I guess, virtual reality helmets to sit and watch parts of the show in virtual reality. Hmm. Together. Yeah, which is cool. That is cool. Yeah, I mean, I guess there's something about, part of the issue is like when you close, you close yourself off from everybody else, right? Yeah. I guess there's something about if everybody does it. Yeah. And then they can, you can make it 4D as well in those types of experience, Mm. of course, with smell and movement, all of those extra interesting dimensions. I feel like every time it's 4D, it just means that I'm going to somehow get wet. (laughs) Or maybe a stomach ache or something like that. I feel like it just means they're going to spray me with water while I have my eyes closed. All right, Claire, what's the next one that you have? All right, my final one for you, David, Michelle, and Emily, is called Refugees Welcome, and it's one of my favourite projects from the Webby Awards and the Lovey Awards this year. I think it was part of our showcase with WP Engine. Yes. Lovey for Good. It was. Um, which showcases projects that are built to change the world, and this one was definitely built to change the world. It's a program that is run, I think, from the UK, uh, and it's a dinner series event where people invite their friends and colleagues and family members to come and sit down and have dinner with new refugees to their community. So the idea is that they're breaking, this is what they say, they're breaking barriers while breaking bread. And does the experience like help link you with 
refugees or yeah. do you have to, like, how does that work? No, that's exactly right. And that's actually, I think, one of the best parts of the program is that a lot of the time they're linking companies or they're linking investors or they're linking advisors to the refugees to help them uh, start new businesses, become entrepreneurs mm. uh, or just make connections. That's great. Um, and that won in both Lovies and Webbies. Yeah. It won in yep. uh, in social for Lovey Awards and then websites for Webbies. You know, I think that's so interesting too because I remember when that did well with, I think with, I don't remember, I guess Lovey's was probably first. Yeah. Um, I remember that uh, it felt like so relevant to the U.S. at the time because of all the discussion around refugees we're having here. And then it also sort of opened my eyes to that it was a discussion. Not that I didn't realize that, but just gave me like a second, oh yeah, this is actually a, a discussion and issue that's going on, not just beyond our borders here and in a significant way. Yeah. I love that project. I have, um, I have one more here in websites and, uh, it's the Rafa website. Ooh, I it's love so Rafa. It's beautiful. And it won in best design function and also in retail and shopping. Um, and, Here's the thing about the Rafa website. If people don't know, Rafa is a, help me here because I might describe this incorrectly, is like a bicyclist's clothing and accessories brand. Would that be and how you? gear, right? Yeah, gear, but like not the bike. They don't make bikes. They just make all the stuff around the bikes, right? I would definitely I throw the word high-end. High-end, yes. for sure. Oh, yeah, yes. for sure. Yeah. But do we think they make bikes? I don't not? think they make bikes. No. I think it's But good. they make all the stuff that somebody who is like a hardcore avid cyclist luxury lover of cycling things would, would want, right? Yes. So the thing about it is I am not one of those people. <laughs> um, I have never bought anything more than like a iPod stand for my bike or whatever it is. <laughs> but I love going to that website because they're crazy. And I mean that in a very like loving way. The stuff that they have on that site, it's like so hardcore and so technical. And like it, you have to like spend some time even understanding what some of the things that they sell are for. Uh, and I find it super fascinating because I do, I have, we all have, I think some people in our lives that are hardcore cyclists. We have a, uh, Ko Fujimura who's an ambassador for us in, in Japan. Who's like very into Rafa stuff. Um, I have some people in my family. I know you do too. So we know those people and have seen their passion for this type of gear, like firsthand. It's like, it's fascinating to me to go to the site and really see how deep it goes. Cause it's, it's really deep. And the designers out there, I think, can appreciate it because they do do a very, very nice job. And the gear is so nice. So oh, they've yeah. got to have a beautiful website to show show off how beautiful the equipment is. Oh, yeah. And But if you spent hours and hours and hours and hours on a bike every week, you would want to have the nicest stuff. A hundred percent. Totally makes sense. But they also make really beautiful videos as well, don't they? They, they do. Everything they do, they that do. Rafa does is yeah, really no, nice. Yeah, they do. They do. Do you, either of you have anything else? Is that it? That's it for me. Okay. Those were all of my faves. All right. Well, great to have our two Lovey and Webby directors joining us. Hopefully this is a nice treat for our listeners out there, a little summer break, and gives you some ideas, some stuff to check out on the European and international internet. Thanks for having us, David Michelle. This was wonderful. Thank you. Thank you for joining us. Thanks again to Emily and Claire for joining me for this special episode of the Webby Podcast, and thank you all for listening. If you're making great work for the internet in Europe or for a European audience, make sure you enter the Lovey Awards before the final entry deadline on Friday, July 19th. See all the categories and submit your projects at loveyawards.eu. 
If you enjoyed this episode, we'd appreciate if you take a few seconds to leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about the Webby Awards, visit www.webbyawards.com or on most social platforms at The Webby Awards. For more information about the Lovey Awards, visit loveyawards.eu, L-O-V-I-E, awards.eu, or the Lovey Awards on social platforms. You can find me at DMD Likes. Our producer is Terrence Brosnan. Our writer is Jordana Jarrett. Our editorial director is Nicole Ferraro. Music is Poddington Bear. I'm your host, David Michelle Davies, and this is the Webby Podcast. Thank you.